Welcome everyone to the Alatia Foundation's latest conversation in a series of podcasts seeking to address the urgent energy topics of the day with a selection of high profile invited experts. My name is Axel Threlfall. I'm editor at large with Reuters based out of London and I am thrilled to be hosting another of these conversations. As I'm sure most of you are aware, the Alatia Foundation is an independent think tank that aims to provide robust and practical knowledge and insight on global energy and sustainable development topics and communicate those for the benefit of the Foundation's members and community. Now, we all know the context in which we're operating well enough, so I don't want to go over that in too much detail. The very latest headlines on the pandemic from Reuters read like this. The World Health Organization says over 230,000 new cases were recorded in the past 24 hours. That is a record. Florida sets a one-day record with over 15,000 new cases. Mexico surpasses Italy to post uh, the world's fourth highest death toll. Uh, Argentina exceeds 100,000 cases. South Africa reimposes an alcohol ban and curfews. And second wave fears grow in Australia. So while uh, infection and death rates are reducing in many countries, uh, there is clearly still reason to be extremely vigilant. Uh, in energy markets, oil prices dropping again in response to the reports of spikes in infections. All eyes on an OPEC technical meeting expected uh, to um, recommend an easing uh, of supply cuts. Uh, and one other noteworthy headline this morning, the EU's benchmark carbon permit price has hit a 14-year high at just over 30 euros per tonne. That is related, of course, to this uh, this whole uh, context that we're talking about. So, so, so lots to talk about. Today, I'm delighted to welcome His Excellency Dr. Yuri Centurin to share some insights specifically on how the world of natural gas has changed or not, and how he expects things to move forward. Dr. Centurin is the Secretary General of the Gas Exporting Countries Forum. The GECF is an intergovernmental organization of 20 member countries, which jointly controls 72% of the proven gas reserves, 46% of its marketed production, 55% of pipeline, and 61% of LNG exports across the globe. Uh, it was officially established in 2008 and has its permanent secretariat in Qatar. Uh, a very good afternoon, Your Excellency, and welcome once again to an uh, Alatia Foundation activity. Very nice to have you with us. Uh, glad to hear from you. And of course, uh, I'm very privileged uh, by this opportunity to talk with you uh, and to participate in the event arranged by one of our best and valuable uh, friends and counterparts from Alatia Foundation. I would like, first of all, to express my sincere gratitude and appreciation for uh, our valuable colleagues from the Foundation. Uh, so, which is considered uh, to be uh, our uh, privileged uh, partner here in host country, Qatar. Okay, uh, Your Excellency, thank you very much uh, indeed for that. Let me let me start um, with this question, and it's a question that you are often asked. But I just wonder if your position has changed at all. You're often asked if the GC GCF will ever change into a gas OPEC, if you like. Your answer is always no. Is it still no? that that is not the role of the GECF? 
Uh, it's a very interesting question indeed. Uh, I would like to say that recently we have celebrated, marked our 10th anniversary uh, since uh, the establishment, in the inception of the GCF as a full-fledged international organization. Uh, just I would like to remind you that in December 2008, uh, 12 countries at that moment signed an intergovernmental agreement in compliance with which uh, the full-fledged uh, international entity, that is GCF, started its history. History. Uh, but um, before that, it was uh, in early 20, 2000, uh, the uh, amount of uh, countries exporting natural gas uh, decided to establish a collaborative platform in order to exchange uh, their viewers and uh, their information upon uh, the situation on energy markets globally and on natural gas markets uh, specifically. So, of course, uh, GCF is not a regulator, GCF is not an uh, entity interfering in market uh, affairs and in market issues. Uh, this is uh, the forum of gas exporters, uh, providing gas exporters uh, some recent information, up-to-date information about uh, the uh, situation on energy markets, uh, equip equipping them uh, with uh, um, some best practices, uh, best businesses, and uh, with understanding and projection of further development yes. of uh, gas markets and so on and so forth. Okay, very good. Uh, th thank you very much indeed. Very comprehensive. And it, it seems to me your, your response remains pretty a pretty definitive uh, no when we ask whether you'll ever change into a gas OPEC. Um, moving on, I know the Alatia Foundation and, and all who follow uh, its work were, have been avid readers of your global gas outlook to 2050. Uh, it views a fairly conventional demand supply outlook uh, driven by uh, population growth and, and raising wealth. Of course, this was launched just before the outbreak of COVID-19. Uh, we, we all know the short-term outlook has changed. What, what are you, give, give us your outlook for, the, for gas in the short and long term and, and tell us how long you think the current oversupply uh, will and can last. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, the current economic downturn and restrictions caused by COVID-19 uh, have bearish implications on natural gas uh, demand, especially in energy-intensive sectors embracing the short-term and mid-term periods. At present, uh, we are at the process of drawing up a new edition of uh, Global Gas Outlook, taking into account uh, the implications of COVID. And um, uh, as uh, for the uh, short term, we forecast uh, natural gas demand decline in 2020, unfortunately for gas producers, uh, that uh, our estimations uh, that uh, that decline uh, will be between 2.8% in optimistic case and up to 6% in pessimistic variant. In 2021, a gas demand will strongly rebound. It's our opinion. However, uh, however it could reach uh, the 2019 level only in 2022. Over the long term, uh, we still adhere to our pre-COVID estimates uh, with some adjustments, of course. Uh, gas consumption in 2050 can be 2 to 3% less, or between, in absolute figures, between 100 to 200 billion cubic meters less. Uh, main conclusion uh, for the time being that natural gas uh, will remain an indispensable fuel for the energy transition and will be the only hydrocarbon resource to increase its share in the global energy mix. Uh, the long-term energy prospects uh, will depend on the pace of economic recovery and uh, the ability of countries to implement uh, their stimulus packages uh, to mitigate uh, the downturn effects. 
Okay. Okay, Your Excellency, thank you very much indeed for that. Um, let's let's move on, uh, if we could. I'd like to get your opinion on the on the on what you think the future for gas might might be, where it might lie, other than its use for electricity generation. Of course, we talk about petrochemical production. We hear more and more about the hydrogen economy. Um, just give give us your thoughts on where you see the future going now. Uh, so uh, we think uh, that uh, the share of natural gas in the global uh, energy mix uh, uh, will be uh, the uh, from uh, the 23rd% for the time being until 27% by 2050. Uh, so the natural gas will remain the only hydrocarbon uh, which will in, uh, enlarge uh, its increase, uh, its share, uh, in the uh, energy uh, mix, uh, world energy mix uh, by 2050 as well. Uh, so uh, let me talk more about petrochemicals. Specifically, the crude and natural gas prices are the main factor to determine the future of relevant capacities. And that is why the shale gas revolution in the United States has brought low cost production of feedstocks to mostly uh, ethane. Okay. Very, very good. Thank you very much indeed. Just move, moving forward, um, I'd like to ask you about uh, the competition for the gas market in Europe. Um, what, what is your thought on the main competitor to natural gas in Europe? Is, is, it, is it coal? Um, uh, you are correct, uh, but uh, partially. European energy markets in general and gas markets in particular are highly competitive. Uh, due to diversity of supply sources, interconnected networks, open access to pipeline network, as well as sufficient LNG input and storage capacities. Uh, furthermore, energy policy frameworks like uh, the third energy package accompanied by numerous gas hubs uh, have created more competition for gas and LNG traders. Uh, that's why, therefore, in Europe, uh, there's not only gas uh, gas competition, but gas needs to compete with other sources of energy, including coal, renewables, and uh, nuclear. Simply put, in a nutshell, uh, it seems to us that in Europe, uh, when coal is uh, cheaper than gas, uh, the demand switches to coal regardless of the issues related uh, to environment. Right, but right. recently, but recently, we have observed uh, that uh, there's coal to gas switching in power sector in Europe due to the combination of high carbon prices and low gas and LNG prices. As for renewables, uh, so uh, frankly speaking, I'm honest with you, we don't see them, I mean renewables energy sources, as competitor of natural gas. Uh, we consider them as a partner of natural gas as a complementary source of energy reliant of natural gas, uh, the latter being a guarantee for the stability of the grid and the security of supply for a demand base load as well as peak regimes. Okay, let me ask you this. Though. This is a more general question around what we've been talking about. Do you see natural gas still as this bridge fuel between the oil-based economy of the 20th century and the, the clean energy-based economy envisaged for the late 21st century? Uh, we use another expression. So we call natural gas as a fuel of choice, as a fuel of 21st century, as a uh, most uh, uh, environmentally friendly uh, fuel, as uh, the most affordable, flexible, uh, and uh, as uh, the most abundant uh, fuel, and uh, as a, a natural partner of renewables, 
so which can be used. And as well as we use another expression, which is very important uh, for us, uh, that is uh, we call natural gas as a destination fuel uh, mm -hmm. during the transition period. This was about expressions, about words. Yep. But from yep. my point of view, more important uh, to analyze uh, the share of natural gas for the time being and uh, in the foreseen future. As I already mentioned, uh, natural gas will remain the only hydrocarbon uh, which increases its share in the global energy mix from 23 to 27% and will be uh, the leading fossil fuel. So we think natural gas has got a good promising future. Okay. Can we can we I want to address um this issue of 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 imports and that we, we've seen no new importers of LNG in 2019, 2020. We've also seen relatively few uh floating regasification storage vessels. How much of a constraint, uh, Your Excellency, is this on the LNG trade or 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 is the problem a shortage of finance for gas-fired power stations, would you say? It's true that no new countries joined uh, the club of LNG importers in 2019. Uh, it uh, compares uh, to one new importer in 2017, unless my memory fails me, it was Malta, and uh, two new importers in 2018, Bangladesh and Panama. As such, in 2019, the number of LNG importers remained at uh, the 2018 level, namely 42 countries importing LNG. But uh, we should uh, realize that the number of LNG importers cannot rise exponentially every year. It takes uh, potential LNG importers relatively much time to take a crucial decision to construct LNG regasification terminals while increasing the share of gas in their energy mixes. Most of developed countries and major countries with emerging economies have already built and actively utilized LNG terminals. Meanwhile, among potential LNG importers, there are many developing countries with, with relatively low financial resources and relatively small gas market. In the context of the current low price environment, many of these countries might take decision to switch from coal and oil to gas in their energy mixes. This is our hopes. In the coming years, uh, we uh, will witness uh, the commissioning of LNG terminals in new important countries such as Philippines, Croatia, with the infrastructure under construction there now. Yeah. Meanwhile, Vietnam and Germany are very likely to take final investment decisions on LNG terminals soon. Besides, uh, we shouldn't forget uh, that uh, there emerge new opportunities of supplying uh, regasified uh, LNG to some landlocked countries and countries without LNG regasification infrastructure. It's a new phenomenon from my point of view. Although mm -hmm. technically these countries are not considered as new LNG importers, actually they get access to regasified LNG through the neighboring countries regarding uh, floating storage and regasification units. 13 new projects might be commissioned by 2025 with a final investment decision taken on four of them, two projects in India, one project in Croatia and one project in the United Arab Emirates. Mm -hmm. We see promising future for this segment of the LNG market since uh, uh, floating storage and regasification unit projects are less costly and yeah. rather medium scale 
compared uh, to onshore terminals. I, I, Your Excellency, I'd like to finish up with a question. We talk about other countries. I'd like to move again, move away from Europe and finish up with a question on Africa. Um, we, we see that Africa doesn't export to other African nations. Is there a, 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 a great untapped market here? Uh, perhaps the same can be said for, for South American countries. Uh, not much intra-regional trade. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? In Africa, we assume a continuous rise in gas demand, reaching around uh, 380 to 390 BCM by 2050, an increase of almost 150%. So I would like to highlight uh, a few initiatives put forward by our member countries. I am talking about Equatorial Guinea's LNG to Africa initiative. This project opens significant prospects for African countries with the limited infrastructure or lacking domestic gas. Gas to power will be the anchor sector for the development of regional gas supplies, allowing African nations to monetize locally produced gas, gas and provide clean and environmentally friendly energy source to people. Uh, and we shouldn't forget about recent discoveries of natural gas in a few of African countries. Now, due to that, uh, I think Africa will uh, occupy a very significant position uh, in uh, the future world. Now, Africa uh, delivers or provides approximately uh, five to six percent of the global gas, natural gas production, but its share in the nearest future will increase up to 10 percent by 2050. So from all these points of view, uh, we consider Africa as a very promising continent uh, mm -hmm. for the natural gas producers. As regards uh, to uh, Latin American countries, um, demand uh, is growing uh, over there uh, to nearly 400 BCM in 2050, but uh, the production will not be sufficient and would be at least 100 BCM less that demand, than demand. Uh, hence, Latin American countries are needed to import uh, natural gas. So uh, we are cooperating with all uh, who are concerned about natural gas and specifically from these two continents, as we consider them as uh, the most prospective and promising uh, consuming and producing mainlands. Okay, uh, I want to get a very, very quick uh, response from you on this final question, if I may, Your Excellency. Is climate change only a rich country's game? Less developed countries just need more and cheaper energy? Is that uh, what? Clearly, that is something that a lot of people are thinking. I would like to say that all our member countries supported definitely Paris Agreement goals and objectives. One of the recent countries joined uh, this international convention uh, through the ratification of the appropriate document was one of our key member countries, Russia by name. So for the time being, the whole team is supporting the efforts of international community to meet these challenges. Mm -hmm. It's uh, rather easy for us uh, to fulfill our commitments uh, in this regard as uh, natural gas is considered, and uh, this is uh, uh, not necessary to approve this fact, uh, is considered to be as the most environmentally friendly fossil fuel, the, more, the cleanest uh, fossil fuel. Uh, due to that, uh, we call for 
uh, all dealing with uh, fuel and energy sources to look at natural gas as a most prospective environmentally friendly uh, fuel of choice for the 21st century. All right. Uh, Your Excellency, I, I am going to uh, stop us there. Pl plenty uh, of food uh, for thought. Um, Dr. Yuri Senturin is the Secretary General of the Gas Exporting Countries Forum. We've talked uh, about a lot, the outlook for gas, its future uses, competition uh, for the gas market in Europe, the future for Africa, Latin America, among uh, many other things. Uh, Your Excellency, many, many thanks for talking uh, with us today. Of course, as a non-profit uh, independent organization, the foundation would also like to thank its members. Uh, their continued support is valued and appreciated. Uh, watch this space for the next podcast uh, in this series. I'm Axel Flothel from Reuters. Thank you and goodbye.